All right, this is Dark Days Radio, episode number 103. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Pretty great, Mike. How you doing? Doing awesome. We're also joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm good. And we're joined from the great state of Texas, special guest, Matt Webb. How's it going, Matt? Howdy. Yeah, really uh, psyched to have you here on the show and uh, to have you back on the show, in fact, because you were here last year talking about Night in Question LARP. Yeah, we were running a Vampire the Masquerade immersive uh, uh, Nordic style experience out here in Texas last November and running again this November as well. It was a Sabat focused horror game. It was a huge success. We had about 150, 155 people show up and nothing but good, uh, nothing but good feedback. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really fun. great to hear. And today we're going to be talking about your upcoming Cyberpunk Night City LARP, which we're uh, definitely psyched to hear about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But before we get to that, we're just going to cover a couple little news points and uh, also do a game update. So, Chris, you want to uh, get started with that? Yeah. So uh, let's go over to the news segment. So, yeah, so in the news, we've got uh, from Paradox uh, Interactive, we have the tender, I don't know what we're going to call it, pseudo social media online experience. Uh, this is in some way possibly a teaser towards some sort of Vampire the Masquerade uh, augmented reality game, perhaps, perhaps something else. Uh, I've had a little play with it. Um, it's different. It's weird. Um, yeah, just have a look at it for yourselves. Uh, guys, have you had a look at it yourselves? Uh, I haven't actually like installed it or anything, but according to um, Natalie, the uh, who was on our show for the World of Darkness uh, Ukraine little interview mm. experience, there's actually a little teaser Easter egg about Tender in one of the, uh, either it's the Anarch or Camarilla book for V5. So that seems to hint that there might be some relations or maybe it was just a little Easter egg joke that someone slipped in. So we'll just have yeah. to see what happens. Well, I'll have to uh, search the books and mostly partway through the show, I'll go, oh, it's this. Anyway, carrying on. Um, and then the other thing we've had is from uh, Matthew Dawkins and Chris Allen. They've done a, uh, a YouTube chat about Werewolf the Forsaken. So again, about why Chris enjoys that game, why he's developing that game, uh, the aspects of it he enjoys, the aspects that he finds that they've tried to strengthen in second edition, the type of things we're expecting in the new books. Plus, I think right towards the end, there's a little teaser about things to do with Mummy the Curse, because they were also talking about crossover. So that was really good. Other news is V5, the Camarilla and Anna books have been shipped. They are with their slipcases, if you ordered those. So all those have gone out from Modiphius. And that means we should be seeing in the shop soon the Camarilla and Anna books. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it from um, you know Onyx Path or oh no, there's one other thing from Onyx Path. Uh, the Lunar's Exalted book is now on Kickstarter and that's fully funded. So obviously, if you hear this by then, go have a look at it if you like Exalted. I've already gotten my Elder package. It's beautiful. Oh, excellent, great. Yeah, the um, you know I. I think it's a really cool cool set. I don't know when I'm going to pick up hard copies. I'm having to prioritize things uh, for books. But yeah, I'm sure they do look really good books. Right. I think that's all for news, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, definitely. So let's move on over to the game update. And since Matt is our special guest of the episode, uh, can you tell us a little bit about any uh, games that you're running or maybe planning to run in the future? Uh, right now, well, we have the Cyberpunk Night City game that we're going to be talking about, which is a really big production. But as a personal project, I'm working on a Mage the Ascension LARP that I think I'm going to try to use my background in mobile technology to kind of do an augmented reality pervasive version of it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of floated this idea on Facebook and over 200 people said that they want to be involved. So maybe there's some interest i don't know and part of what i'm doing there is i'm trying to make kind of an unofficial m5 update to go mm. along with v5 where 
we get I take the things I liked about the approach to how they transferred from 20th anniversary edition vampire into fifth edition and kind of give it the same treatment to mage where it becomes much more of a street level lower power story yeah and is a lot more personal and about personal uh ascension and what goes on in your particular neck of the woods as opposed to big bang pow stuff out in the you know out in the ether dealing with realms and stuff that sounds fantastic I've always thought that Mage works better if it's more about the personal journey rather and kind of the grail quest of Ascension rather than uh, big Ascension war battles. Those that's just kind of the context. It's kind of like having a civil war drama. The war is a is a set piece it's, or, or a framing. It's not the story. More of a mm. backdrop than what your uh, your individual mages are doing. Yeah, it's the pressure, but it's not the the camera doesn't track it is probably for the best. Yeah, definitely sounds awesome. And Chris, do you have any uh, gaming updates that you wanted to share? Warhammer 4th Edition, playing that. It's uh, great. People are getting drunk and starting fights (laughs) on the road to Mordheim and had a really cool game of um, Adeptus Titanicus. So the asymmetric missions are in that game really, um, you know, really push you tactically. So we had Titans overloading, shields going down and exploding as reactors leaked. So how lots of fun with that so yeah hopefully this week more warhammer and they might get somewhere um out of the pub <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome and i think with that that's uh, some great updates for the episode and let's move on over to the interview segment All right, Matt, so you were on the show about a year ago and kind of told us already about Jackalope LARP a little bit and some of your street cred, but for anyone that's uh, listening to this for the first time, can you kind of just uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. My name is Matthew Webb. I'm a partner at Jackalope Live Action Studios. We are a company that does live action, high-end, immersive LARP events uh, here in the Texas and we are looking to expand throughout the United States. We were founded about two years ago, and we've already run two very successful events, the first of which was a War of Our Own, which was a charity event that uh, raised money to help war orphans through um, war, the War Child charity. And it was based on this war of mine, the award-winning video game. And then we ran the Night in Question, which was a giant blockbuster high special effects horror event based in the vampire the masquerade universe and focused on the sabbat taking over a rave in 1998 and though that was a fantastic event with a lot of really great people it went off really well and we've uh and my myself i've been playing and running larps for about 20 years or so years now and i've been a fan of just about everything i'm a big fan of the world of darkness i'm a big fan of cyberpunk 2020 Shadowrun, uh battle tech is a first love of mine and all, all sorts of stuff at this point you should ask me what i haven't played because i play just about everything yeah battletech's an awesome game really love that setting a lot and the new video game that just came out is definitely uh off the hook oh god yes i back that without a second thought airbrain schemes is doing a fantastic job they really are they really are so with this new larp event that you're running in texas this cyberpunk larp what is the premise of it what is the uh the general overview of it what are the themes and tones that you're going for I want people to walk into the play space. We've rented out this 10,000 foot warehouse that's usually used for as a airsoft arena. It's got all these walls and graffiti all over it. And we're going to dress it up even more and turn it into this block of night city with neon and blacklight and a market and ripper docks and cybernetics and, we want people to just kind of walk in and it's like, what if Disney set up a horrible dystopian Tomorrowland? Then you get to walk around in it and be a member of it and immerse yourself in the streets of Night City for two days. I think that's what I want out of it. I want people to just 
have to stop at the doorway and just take it in and just be able to walk around this place for hours and see all that there is to see. And at the same time, I want to, you know, get that classic streets of neon. One, one of our writers called the dirty streets of heaven sort of look to everything and also have the experience of, you know, going on runs as a edge runner going, being a streaming star going through all this very stuff, working as a, you know, working this urban punk landscape and being part of that world for a while is amazing. And I think that's, that's what I want people to walk away from is that this was just this amazing experience of being in something like Blade Runner for that time. That sounds really cool. And especially, you know, we look at uh, something like World of Darkness Berlin, which Chris and I keep talking about on the show, you know, having that, you know, ability to move around throughout the city uh, and go to different locations really enhanced the overall live action experience and really helped just get immersed in the character in that context. So I think if you're actually able to, uh, you know, really create this cyberpunk future for people to walk through for two days, as you said, that's going to be great for just the overall immersion and experience of the players and the characters yeah and our set designer charles boaz is going through and he's looking at all these pictures of hong kong and taipei and the old kowloon walled city Mm. if you look it up this kind of idea of a place that's just been built up and built up with the wires hanging overhead and just the signs in 15 different languages and that classic sort of feel and this weird merge of the antique and the super modern that often if you look at cityscapes and cyberpunk cityscapes are really really iconic and our set designer just did a fantastic job of looking through all these photos and saying okay these scenes always have this these scenes always have that and they're going to dress up that space for four days before any of the players step inside of it and it's going to have spotlights overhead it's going to have holographic screens because it has this for like this, you know, I'd say at least a 30 foot ceiling above mm. above you so we can hang stuff from it. It's rigged for lighting and it's going to look fantastic. And it has a sound system. We're going to play city noise through and it's going to be almost like an imagineering experience, I think, is what we're going for. Obviously, we have limits, but it's going to feel great. And if you look at the trailer we put out, that's just what that group crew did in a couple hours as opposed to days of work. Right on. Yeah. We'll definitely put a a link in the show notes to your trailer. So I'm just going to steal Chris's next question a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you can, you can definitely jump in and uh, expand on this, but you know, why are you doing a a cyberpunk game? You know, if you ask William Gibson, he'll tell you that cyberpunk was dead in 1985. So what sort of like a, a future are you going for, uh, with your cyberpunk 2020 uh, game, or are you trying to really harken back to the more classic feel and vibe of uh, the cyberpunk RPG from the eighties? I think that the style is the, the way things look. We're looking for kind of a, uh, a merge between the classic cyberpunk 2020 cassette retro look and the stuff that CD project red did with 2077. I think everything that CD Projekt Red did with 2077 and the revival we've seen in cyberpunk, as much as I revere Mr. Gibson, I've spoken to him a couple times uh, when he's gone to events here in Austin. I love him to death. I don't think cyberpunk is ever going to die so long as the punk ethos is valid and there is implications to the world changing, especially at the edges of society. So I think cyberpunk, as long as it embraces the punk ethos, the hyper-individualism in the face of pressures of the modern world and the changes in the modern world, and as long as there's always questions about where we're going and how that affects people in the, how that affects the darker places of the world, I think cyberpunk is never going to die. Is it going to give up on the Mohawks and leather jackets eventually? But... I don't think it's going anywhere in the same way that goth hasn't gone anywhere 
in the same way that science fiction like space opera has not gone anywhere. I think it's a, at this point it's proven that it might go and come back and reimagine itself, but it's never going to die. Right on. Yeah. I'm going to add to that. Cause like, I think with the things that you've been describing, I get a, a kind of um, the way I can see the event is that like with, as you said about the, the video screens and, and projections, I kind of get a feel of like elements from the, the Zocalo in Babylon five. Cause that's again, a view of the future from, the 1990s so obviously technology of what they could display was limited but i kind of get that feel with kind of the cyberpunk elements and as you say this cassette futurism is is really um you know in vogue as well with music right now as well with you know synthwave and so forth so it's it's going to be yeah it'll have a distinct look because i think um if you if you were a purist and went with with kind of will gibson's kind of side punk if you look at the more recent stuff like virtual uh, not virtual light um like pattern recognition and so forth a lot of the things that were considered cyberpunk tropes have kind of come to pass like you know um augmented realities and all these things so going for something that has a has a distinct feel rather than being very close to our reality is perhaps more fun and our conversation was Michael Pondsmith, who's the creator, and is we're currently writing Cyberpunk Red, which is the tabletop update to go mm-hmm. along with Cyberpunk 2077. He's not he's trying to give the the style, but he's also trying to and he's also updating the relevance. Mm. He's incorporating the new things which have happened. Uh, we're still in this alternate timeline that diverged in 1990, but What's going on in our 2036 is a reflection of what's going on now. And one of my guiding lights in creating cyberpunk was a conversation with William Gibson in which I got, I asked him, is cyberpunk predictive? Does it tell the, the story of the future or is it descriptive? Does it just tell the story that happens right now? And he had this fantastic answer. He said that the thing you have to keep in mind about the public image of the present is it always lags by four or five years. People have not processed how the world Mm. has changed for years until it's years after it's actually changed. So the only way to talk about what is going on now is to set it in the future so people will accept it. Right. And we wrote, uh, when he wrote Neuromancer, he was talking about corporate power and computers and the power that power the computers have over our society and that was going on in 1982 it's just no one would believe it if you told him he, he said it in modern day cool chick do you want to elaborate you've got some uh you've got a, a brief question i guess that's to do with the uh the yeah it's, it's more more of an aesthetic question than anything else do i need to bring my own cyber deck or will that be provided for me <laughs> We will have publicly available net terminals that you'll be able to uh, run your uh, Cyberjack program on. However, we are giving people the option of bringing their own computer. It just has to be Windows um, in order to run our our Cyberjack program that we're providing on a USB stick. So that way, if you want to dress up an old laptop and add LEDs to it, and all that stuff, you're more than welcome to, because I'm not going to deny a LARP or a chance to make a prop. I have to insist now that people people bring along a um, a, a mini disc player because I just think of um, the classic William Shatner's. Is it uh, Net War? What's the series that Mike Tech you remember? War? Tech War. There we go. And they were using <laughs> mini discs, and it's just like that. That's so cool. Mini, mini discs disc show up in so much stuff in the '90s. Like I think yeah. they showed up in Demolition Man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. the media they're so the cool. They're so cool, but crap and also in hindsight anyway carrying on so how new player friendly is this larp it's it sounds very immersive and very detailed but if i'm just schmucky joe off the street which i am uh not a big larper is there an in for me or do i need to have just years and years of experience under my belt or will i feel completely left out these uh immersive events that thankfully are very, very newbie friendly. We've had, we had people from, uh, who came to the night in question who never LARP before and they had a fantastic time. We do workshopping of the mechanics. We do, you know, character connections. We encourage people to talk to each other on discord. 
But the great thing about the Cyberpunk 2020 setting is while it has this very rich history to it, you can play it just by knowing kind of how cyberpunk the genre works and you can figure out the particulars of the world fairly easily and you'll be fine. If you just have the image of I'm going to this cyberpunk market full of high tech, low lives, and I've got some goals and I'm willing and the mechanics are extremely light. I won't have to memorize a rule book. You will be fine. I think uh, we have a very good track record of taking new LARPers and making them absolutely fall in love with the type of experiences that we uh, jump into. And we've gotten nothing but great feedback from our previous events. So the great thing is the rules are extremely light and the world is pretty easy to understand and fake your way through because it's a classic cyberpunk Blade Runner slash, you know, altered carbon kind of experience. Right on. And uh, what kind of a system are you looking at for uh, conflict resolution? We're using two systems that kind of run side by side. In the main area, which is the giant dressed up city block, we use a consent based system where you decide, you negotiate an outcome of a conflict or a use of an ability with the person you're using it on. You have control of what happens to your character. There's the idea of a combat number, which is just uses kind of a gauge of how much more powerful someone is compared to the other person, like some crazy solo, which is kind of a street mercenary, uh, beats up on some just random corporate shill. They have a much higher combat number, but the person who plays the corporate shill can say, I get beaten up or I get away, but I'm scared for my life. They set the terms of their defeat so that we have so that you have a experience that you enjoy and it doesn't we don't get this problem that sometimes happens in conflict-based systems where one group of people just manages to dominate the experience through you know their physical powers uh you have to consent to having that kind of interaction at the same time we are going to have these side missions for the kinds of characters who want to go on the, you know, the cyberpunk, I get a team together and I do, you know, bad stuff for bad people. Uh, we're going to have a more kind of puzzle room meets uh, nerf battle sort of experience where you can go in, you can try to talk your way past a guard, you can hack a terminal that we set up. And that's going to be another area we set up inside the game space. Wow. So, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. amazing. And things that you find in the market, you manage to get off the net or whatever can affect the outcomes of that mission. And that's just one kind of lane. Those that those missions aren't required. They're there because at the same time, you have characters that are just ha at this block party that's occurring in this on the street, uh, role playing, dealing with their personal drama, hustling. Uh, there's fixers who are the kind of people who try to get together jobs or find items for people. You know, there's vendors. There's all these other there's all these other people going on in this effort to create this like living city sort of feel where the place is just packed with everybody doing their own thing. Awesome. So there's a there's a lot of diversity which um, cyberpunk can cover for both in terms of culture and character types and just well, really everything that you can do. As you said, you could be very combat-based or very social-based or merchants or something. So how are, play how are players going to create their characters? Are we going to see, again, a system like Enlightenment in Blood and in um, uh, with the knighting question? So using is this a next-generation LARP weaver that we're going to see? Yeah, we're doing the second version of LARP Weaver. Uh, LARP Weaver is this program, which Steve, my partner, always insists I undersell. So I'll try to I'll try to sell it properly. You go in and you ask you answer a series of questions about what kind of game you want, and you select the groups you want to join, and you, you're guided to find the character that best fits the kind of experience you're looking for. So if you're looking for the classic tabletop badass you can you're guided to that if you want to play a style streamer that streams uh that live streams the event and is trying to basically be a cyberpunk 2020 version of an in instagram star you can play that you can play somebody who's 
working as a uh, joy boy slash joy girl uh, who are the legalized prostitutes. You can play somebody who's a vendor. You can play someone who's a fixer. But the system comes in and says, okay, these are your options available. Feel free to explore them. Choose at choose what you want. Tell us what you want. And also, these are the kinds of connections that are available to you. Which ones are you interested in? So it combines this very the flexibility of a character creation system while allowing us to make sure that everyone immediately fits and have more of the kind of authored experience that you see in some of the Nordic style LARPs like College of Wizardry, uh, but with a little bit more flexibility and, and a little and more input from the player as far as finding the thing that fits you, as opposed to you fill out a questionnaire and some other person figures out what you should, what, where you fit. And we like giving our players that level of control over where they find out. Cause I think that people understand their own fun best. Mm. Yeah. I could definitely say, uh, having used LARP Weaver at World of Darkness Berlin, that was a pretty flawless system. You know, it really, after answering all the questions, basically getting a certain angle for my character, um, I really had good expectations for what the game was going to be like for me and it all played out great. So Definitely, uh, definitely a great system, and I'm glad that, to hear that it's uh, kind of entering a second edition. I think that with as diverse a background as Cyberpunk, I think it's really critical that we take all these different expectations, all these different play styles, and put them in the right place and give people what they want. And I think that when you're creating a big game like this, because we're trying to sell, uh, we're already up to 50 tickets sold, but we're trying to sell about 200. And we want this packed cityscape that has people doing all sorts of things and trying to do all sorts of things. And I think that if we can create this game that maybe isn't all things to all people, but everybody can find a place, I think that's great. And we have this concept of play lanes in our creative process where there's the play lane for the action player. There's a play lane for the person who likes to hustle and negotiate. There's the play lane for the people who, who like intrigue. And much like lanes in a highway, you can shift between lanes like that. You know, the interpersonal lane, which is more the soap opera and just the experience lane where you're just wanting to be in this place for a while. You can shift between these lanes, but there's definitely a preference for each player and each type of character. So we need to match up those experiences with the person who's going to enjoy and engage with them. And then I guess linked to that to ensure that people get the most enjoyment out of their characters. Um, I mean, cyberpunk, I mean, we'll get into this a bit more about the, the, the setting design and themes, but um, you know, again, with enlightenment and blood, and I'm sure, you know, it was also the same with, um, with the night in question. Uh, and again, in Nordic LARP as well, the idea of consent in the game, not just in terms of consent with, uh, in terms of combat and who wins on powers, uh, consent in whether you get drawn into particular plots or, or, or content, because obviously sex, drugs, violence, that type of thing is, uh, is part of cyberpunk's kind of tropes. So uh, what kind of mechanisms are being used in this to kind of help allow people to freely move in and out of those kind of themes. The key to consent is being informed of what you're consenting to. Uninformed consent is not consent. So one of the things that I think that we should, that we are doing that I think is very important is that we have very clear content advisories and warnings on what we're doing. And we also have very clear content bans. Um, we, warn you if you're going if both from the outset what this game will involve you will encounter drug use you will encounter loud noises you will encounter being in an enclosed uh you know tight space it's not like we're going to put you in a coffin but these are tight alleyways that are going to be full of people so we make sure from the very get-go that we m make it clear what is unavoidable within the game and when you select a character one of the things we added in the night in question because that was the world of darkness. There's a lot of heavy stuff going on. We added very clear content warnings to our characters where they said, you know, this character is going to deal with drug abuse. This character is in an emotionally abusive relationship. This, this is doing this. This is doing that. 
so that players can go into that knowing full well what they're getting into. So that's the first line. The second line is is that we have a ser- we have a safety workshop wherein we train people how to use these hand signals. And you can look them up on our website. It's called the Jackalope Guide to Playing Hard and Safe. And what it is is the these hand signals that mean things like, I'm bowing out of this scene. Please don't mention it. Uh, you put your hand on your back of your head and you bend your head down. And, or please like get that out of my face. Or I don't want to deal with this right now. Or I need to negotiate with you about where this is going to go so that everyone can gauge and control their experience and they're given the power to take control of their own responses. But also we encourage a culture where if someone seems like they need a break, they seem overwhelmed, you check in with them. And we have a system where you use uh, some hand signals that are really simple, like the okay sign and thumbs up and thumbs down, where someone can ask without breaking character, without really intruding on the scene, are you okay? Are you crying in real life? Or are you really, are you just good at acting? And that is part of making sure that everybody has a good time and is comfortable with what they're engaging with. It's one of the things that we find is a big misnomer when we're dealing about these consent and safety systems is people think, Oh, that like blunts the experience. But I think it's quite the opposite. I think that by having those kind of safety systems, those the, that net to catch you, people are far more willing to take risks and role play to a darker subject matter without constantly having this nagging feeling that maybe they're going too far because you can check with the person and that person has the vocabulary for expressing how far they want to go. Mm, great. And then how does that, how, what kind of things are you using to, to simulate kind of some of the, the content? Cause I, as I said, like, you know, your character players may want to simulate sort of a certain level of intimacy, maybe. Well, we do allow with explicit consent and we do go over this um, romantic contact. We do allow kissing if you want to kiss, but we also, you know, say there are stand-ins for this kind of thing you can simply touch each other on your shoulders and just look at each other and that has the same emotional content without the physical content you can uh, we never um write in a romantic relationship it is a negotiation between the players to have a romantic relationship and we actually require that both parties consent to even unreciprocated romantic or sexual interest. In the case of the, you know, the prostitutes or so forth, one of the things is one of the players that's doing this, uh, she's a trained uh, massage therapist. So if you, you know, go into the back room, she's going to bring her massage table and she's going to give you a back massage and that's going to be a proxy for, you know, her services. The other way is that there's a really great system called Ars Armandi, which mainly involves the hands and arms, which is meant to simulate sex. And it's kind of hard to describe, but basically it's the act of touching without there being any sexual content Mm. in order to be, to create a feeling without actual intimacy. We generally, uh, we do ban actual sexual activity at games because we're not going to deal with that. Um, but there's these interesting stand-ins for that kind of stuff. And if two people are comfortable enough kissing each other, maybe they know each other, maybe they're partners in real life, we're not going to stop them if, as long as it is a consensual act uh, outside of being sexual, like being actual you know, intimate contact of that sort. I'll say that the um, the services of the, of the person doing the uh, massages, even mid-game, as I need to actually have a massage because I've been stood up all game is is really cool anyway because actually having someone on, on hand to do that and it can then, you can have that service of I really need to have my shoulders rubbed. <laughs> but it, it fits into the narrative of the game without 
almost is is kind of is kind of amusing in its own right so it's kind of cool that massages are used as a proxy for um sexual services and larp quite a bit i've noticed uh, a good friend of mine who's a nordic larper bjarke said that a, he was at a larp in the middle of winter in denmark and they had a pal a temple of love and he paid with in-game currency and had these two gorgeous women give him a back massage on hot oil while lying on furs. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, after two days LARPing, that was better than sex ever would be. It was one of the greatest <laughs> moments of my life. <laughs> awesome. Right. Um, I think we're on to the next segment, aren't we, then, Mike, about the setting design. Yeah, a little bit. So technology is really very important to uh, cyberpunk, uh, at least visually and stylistically. So what kind of modern technology are you using to get to the kind of retro cyberpunk feel of Night City? Um, I'm so glad that projectors are so cheap now because it allows us to fill right this landscape with giant video screens just by hanging up uh, clear, like semi-clear plastic and like running projectors off of them. We're going to have screens everywhere and we'll probably be repurposing a lot of like junk LCDs in order to create this kind of scavenged tech from all eras jammed together sort of look that is really typical of cyberpunk and also very uh, typical of the 2036 setting that we've uh, talked about with Michael Pondsmith as we kind of updated the setting. Uh, we're also setting up like you can bring your laptop and you can have a cyber deck and we're going to have a command line program that is we actually using a text adventure engine and seriously modifying it so it acts like a computer command line in order to do hacking and uh, things of that nature. And, you know, it's it's about filling the place with media and, you know, we have these wonderful like EL tape and like LCD EL wire stuff that we wouldn't have had like 20 years ago at the same price that allows us to just make everything glow and mm. create this classic sort of electronic uh, neon landscape sort of feel. Right on. Nice. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Other than the uh, traditional tabletop role-playing game and the uh, forthcoming computer game, what have been the big influences on the design and feel of the LARP? I mean, obviously, the the street markets from Blade Runner are absolutely necessary. Um, the look of altered carbon is fantastic. Um, but I think that we spent a lot of time analyzing and looking at the books more than anything. Uh, when Gravity Fails is a fantastic book. Uh, Stand on Zanzibar is an old book from 1969 that I consider to be cyberpunk. I've reread all the Gibson novels and there's this, I there's finding the common threads of a genre that feels so contemporary to the eighties yet constantly reemerges. If you look at black mirror, black mirror is a cyberpunk series for the most part. You have the new Philip K. Dick series coming out. Uh, so you have to find the common threads of what's what's going on. And one of the things we did when we were thinking about this in the creative process is we figured out that cyberpunk is noir. Like these two, uh, these two ideas are deeply linked because cyberpunk and noir, the film noir, the classic kind of hardball detective, is a high urbanism setting they focus on individuals who make their own rules they figure they focus on the dark side of society they often deal with new technology one of the things in uh if you look at the old noir films and novels they're actually usually dealing with innovations for their time microfilm and uh air travel and all these things and their implications so we're looking at trying to create that idea of urban isolation. We're trying to create this idea of a world that's changing too fast, uh, of the oppressive nature of the urban environment. But also, I think that we have to embrace the punk ethos as well. And a punk, uh, and you can't take the cyberpunk 
the punk out of cyberpunk. I don't think that's possible and have it work. It always feels flat if you don't have that subversive, destructive, highly critical, highly cynical attitude that's endemic to punk. And that's the real thing we're, we're, if you look at all these things I'm mentioning, punk, noir, cyberpunk, all this stuff, we're talking about these things which seem so contemporary to where they happened, yet they keep coming up. They seem to be eternal at the same time. They seem to be timeless. I think leading on from that is, um, with as going back to certain thing we were talking about earlier with cyberpunk, is, I mean, I've just pushed through and watched all of Altered Carbon, and one of the first things that kind of turned me off was how kind of a bit sleazy it was it was a bit overt in its in the sexual elements of it so but then of course a core theme of cyberpunk is transgression is is how overt it is so i mean what kind of work are you doing in in um, guiding your writers guiding the development of this to to get the right balance of these themes because otherwise it may fall a bit too far one way and turn players off it's always a your mileage may vary on that especially when you're dealing with uh, sexual content and uh for lack of a better word lewd content um i my general direction to our play our writers is that we are a sex positive uh production house we but we do not deal with subjects of sexual assault or sexual violence but we want to treat you know sex workers and that business with respect and we should not use it for cheap schlock shock value Mm. um and that is an element of the street that's an element of the edge of society these is something this is part of the world of the outsiders which should always be an aspect of cyberpunk and of punk itself is that this is the place of the outsiders so when we look at these things what makes something petty and and uh what makes something petty and tasteless is the fact that it's viewed from the viewpoint of your average viewer not from the viewpoint of the person that lives there yeah and i think that that needs to be the emphasis is that this is the this is the view from the street by the people of the street and when we're dealing with sexuality when we're dealing with um alternate forms of alternate lifestyles for lack of a better word when we're touching on the very proud history of punk and science fiction and dealing with things like you know uh trans you know trans issues and gay issues and alternate you know family lifestyles and different ways of living we have a really proud history of taking on that sort of stuff and talking about it long before anyone else did and we've made mistakes along the way because we're forging new territory but there's a history there of treating those things as valid and with respect but also recognizing that often society does not allow these people to behave, uh, be part of normal society. So we don't want to shock you from the perspective of a outsider. We want to explore these parts of human existence and how they interact with, you know, respectable quote unquote society. Matt, I also noticed uh, looking on the website that there's some elements of online participation for the uh, Cyberpunk LARP. Could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. So we have a dedicated online game master, Tara Clapper. She runs online LARP games. And what you're able to do is buy a ticket for about half price and you get to be part of the Saturday night game. You will be put in touch with players who are playing inside the game site. You'll be able to call them. You'll be able to vid conference them. But you also have your own plot line going on that can affect the outcome of the game and can give information that you can then give to players on the ground. 
And also you'll be able to, if you're playing like a media type character or a, you know, pirate radio station, we'll have all these screens set up and you'll be able to inject your own messages and content during the game into the live action space. So that's a really awesome sort of, you can play a hacker, you can play a media personality, you can play a reporter, you can play a corp executive, but you'll be playing at the same time with your own dedicated staff members handling you that you'll then feed back into the live action game. That sounds freaking awesome because while I would love to go uh, with everything else for me, getting over to Texas right now is a little bit more tricky, but that I can definitely do. <laughs> yeah, we've had people from like South Africa say, we can't get to Texas, but can we play like a group of South African hackers? And I'm like, if you buy the tickets, we'll figure it out. You can definitely sign me up for being some sort of pseudo Max Headroom <laughs> rogue AI or something like that. <laughs> you'll, you'll be like uh, Ice-T and Johnny Mnemonic. It'll be great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Right on. That's incredibly insightful. So I think you uh, kind of start wrapping things up. What would you say is the uh, most exciting aspect of the cyberpunk setting to explore in both design and in uh, playtesting of uh, your LARP here? I'd say that the opportunity we have in this LARP to give some love and focus to the parts of the cyberpunk setting, both in just 2020 and just in general, that often aren't given much focus because they're not as engaging to run as a tabletop game, but they're way more engaging to run in like an immersive LARP environment. Like in Blade Runner, you never hear the story of the club owner or the vendor or the other detectives or the other criminals they deal with. In in a LARP, we have such a big cast and there's always something to do. You can play and explore these other characters, these characters that aren't cybernetic badasses. What they are is they're people who are trying to live in this world and what their struggles are and what they go through and the ability to go and look through these people's lens or just be just a fashion icon or be a rock star or be something that doesn't require a mission and a GM and a plot, but be something that you're only going to be playing for a couple nights and you get to explore this like other type of personality. And I think that that's something that's really special to what we're doing right now is that we're able to trans to transport these other experiences inside this rich world that sound really fun and are going to be really fun in this environment but wouldn't necessarily work in a tabletop i'm sure someone could run it but they're not the first things you think of right on that's something that uh harlan ellison the sci-fi writer always used to harp about was like what about the regular people like what are they doing in these worlds you just gained so so many points for me by mentioning harlan ellison rock on man yeah i mean uh the man who rode columbus to shore is one of my favorite short stories of his and uh i have no mouth and i'm a screen that guy that guy just wins the title game and in fact my software company incognita limited is named after a short story of his called incognita unlimited which is about the place that sells all the maps to maps to the worlds of fantasy or to the dungeon or whatever he's the guy he's the cartographer that makes all the maps to the unknown places it's this little shop in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> the man's imagination knows no bounds. I, I still uh, mourn his passing. And he had this great punk attitude just to get back to it. He just took no shit. And he made yeah. his own world. And I uh, I know later in life he had some uh, scandals. But now at this point, I, I think I can just appreciate the artistry and the, 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 the sheer, you know, iron which which he dealt with people cool chig did you have a last question here yeah uh last question uh was there an aspect uh, of the setting that you wanted to incorporate that for one reason or another you couldn't it just wouldn't work out for whatever reason there are limits to the other places that we can go and simulate given the space requirements if i could do a more spread out sort of enlightenment and blood sort of feel I would, but the money and the space involved in the set dressing is harder to do. Uh, One thing that we are skipping out on 
is the kind of virtual reality sort of cyberspace feel. Um, but even there's a kind of a, a motion towards getting away from that in general, even in the tabletop games, because the idea of the net runner is basically this guy and who monopolizes the GM's time and doesn't, <laughs> and doesn't interact with the party at all and is 100% necessary for what's going on. So, but I would love to, I would love to do more virtual reality, but it's just no longer fitting. And the, overhead on is a little bit too high for the payoff right on nice yeah this sounds like an incredible experience you know being able to go live in a cyberpunk world for a couple days um i'm seriously actually considering going down there and uh being a part of this because this is just such a unique opportunity so just to kind of wrap things up here of course, we are uh, Darker Days Radio. If you want to uh, get in contact with us, uh, you can email us over at uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, We're on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. And we are on Instagram, Instagram at Darker Days Radio. We have a WordPress, Darker Days Radio. Uh, we have, <laughs> what else do we have? That's, I think that's all the main stuff. Obviously, in our show notes, we're going to put all the information about this uh, upcoming Cyberpunk LARP uh, so that people can check it out. Uh, links to the website, links to the uh, the safety protocols, and all that good stuff. Uh, Matt, is there uh, any place where people can get in contact with Jackalope LARP? So we are on Twitter as at Jackalope LARP and also on Instagram as at Jackalope LARP. We are on Facebook as Jackalope Live Action Studios. You can search for that or Cyberpunk Night City. We have a group on there. We're also at jackalope-larp.com on uh, the world on the internet. And if you want the specifics about cyberpunk, it is cyberpunk.jackalope-larp.com. And that has information and how to buy tickets. There are still tickets available. The game itself is May 25th, 2019, and it will be in San Antonio. And all the details are out. Tickets start at $222 and you can get a two a two tickets for $404. Okay, right on. Very good. So, of course, uh Chig Chris, uh, thank you very much for being on the show as usual and Matt, really appreciate you coming here and telling us about the LARP. Sounds like it's going to be an awesome experience and uh definitely just a lot of fun. I hope to see all of you guys there. I think it'll be awesome. Yep. And to all the listeners out there, good night. This episode of Dark Days Radio uses music from Occam's Laser under private license and Cynics under Creative Commons license. Be sure to check out and support these cool artists. Oh,